International Pudding. Mm. Where we at, babe? Coming to you live from uh, Fee's mom's house. <laughs> Fee's parents' house. Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. How we, do we say it? Melbourne. 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 Not, Mel- not Melbourne. For there all the Americans go. out there. I know it's spelled Melbourne, but it's Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, we've made it that, I guess, <laughs> with our accents. <laughs> yeah. We've been having fun. We've been in Australia for the past week. This is the first time we've been back since we've been a married couple, and it's been really nice. It's been great. Yeah, to see family, a lot of other exciting things, and uh, most importantly, to bring you guys the second episode of our potty. That's how committed we are to mm. the cause. Yeah, never a vacation. Microphones in the suitcase. Yes. Sophie, what do we have for our listeners on this month's episode of Where's the Nuance? So this month we are actually revisiting a topic that when we were sussing out the podcast, um, we did a test, a test topic, just because this conversation came up very naturally for us, not just once once or twice, but over time we talk a lot about I guess our respective genders, how we feel that they perceive the other. Um, And I think it's important to bring up at the beginning of this conversation that it's from a very heteronormative perspective. Um, It's going to be a bit more personal than our first episode, which was about celebrity, things that are a bit more distant from us. So, yeah, just take everything with a grain of salt, I would say, and understand the dynamic, we're just, we're just speaking about the dynamic in the spaces that we move through specifically and hopefully you can take something from it because a lot of what we try to discuss, what we want to discuss are everyday parts of, of our life, conversations and topics that come up time and time and time again with our friends, which leads us to believe that other people are having these same conversations, so... Mm-hmm. We thought it would be good to touch on gender. Gender wars. Pow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Episode two. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, particularly when I'm scrolling down my timeline, um, when I'm out in the world talking to people, it kind of feels like whether it's manufactured by media in part or whether it's, um, I think it comes from a very real place, uh, just the disconnect between men and women right now. Um, okay, so let's start there. What is said in these conversations? You know, when you're talking to your female friends and they're talking about men generally, what are some of the key themes that come up? Mm, you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Just to put it plain and simple, I feel that the most common sentimental gripe that is reflected amongst my girlfriends when speaking about men is just the simple fact that mediocrity feels so acceptable. Mm. If you're a man, (laughs) a level of of competence, like such an average level of competence that us women don't feel like we could get away with. If If we look at media as an example, I feel like it's so difficult to name a sitcom or a comedy that involves a woman who gets up in the morning without any conviction um, and doesn't have any guilt about that, you know. I couldn't pinpoint a single character in fiction of a woman who has no purpose, who wakes up and 
what are they going to do, play video games? Like that's not an option for women to be unmotivated, to be mediocre. Whereas that same storyline with a man is so common. It's so common and it's um, something likeable almost about that type of character. And, yeah, I think there's just so many options for men, so many structures for them to lean on and deliver the bare minimum without that being something that excludes them from, you know, a stable career, for instance. But whereas what would that even look like for a female equivalent? What would that character or image being brought to life even be like? Essentially it feels like in our society women are imprisoned by this standard of it doesn't feel like there's any leverage or wiggle room to be selfish in a lot of ways. There's this standard of always having to put others before themselves and it doesn't feel like there's really a space to effectuate their own desires apart from a romantic partner. Whereas with men, it seems like they're allowed and almost encouraged to lean into that selfishness. They aren't socialised like us to put, yeah, they wouldn't face any ridicule for making those same choices. Mm. What do you say to that? That was really good. If I could summarise, it sounds like what you're saying is that when it comes to media representation, TV representation, there's men have the privilege of just having a much more expansive uh, way in which they can be portrayed. Um, and that sounds like what you're saying is that men have inherent value in and of themselves, whereas in our example of media portrayal, women's value comes you know, through either their service, uh, their service to someone else or adjacent to uh, a man or, or something like that. And, and it, it's really restricting to women. Is that kind of the gist of what you're saying? Mm, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I definitely understand. I appreciate that perspective. Um, I understand and I, I agree with all that. I think I'll also challenge that a bit because on the one hand, while you know you absolutely can't deny that there are privileges, not just in media, but in the world that men have um, in terms of media and television representation, um, much more forgiving of certain character flaws for sure. But I also think in many other ways, if we continue along with the, the TV example, I think it's very restrictive uh, for men as well. Like going off of what you, you just said, like there are definitely more visuals of kind of that typical guy who's going nowhere in life, who wakes up every day aimless without a purpose and sort of meanders through life. But that type of guy is rarely, if ever, um, depicted as desirable in any way or, or as anything to be something to be achieved is like more than just sort of a comic relief. Um, and I, you know, I was just thinking of, I'm really late to the whole insecure train. So I just finished insecure like two months ago, but the first thing that came to mind, when I was thinking that is, uh, insecure Lawrence. And we look at season one, Lawrence, who's jobless, doesn't have a solid career path, not able to provide financially. Um, and ultimately his, story arc is he gets cheated on and broken up with and unwanted. And it's not really until he gets his life together career-wise, financially, 
where he becomes the desirable character again. And so I think that, I say that to say, I think that's a microcosm of something a lot of men feel and are resentful about is that me and a lot of my friends, when we, when we talk to each other, it kind of feels like women inherently have value, whereas men's value is based on their provision, um, what they can provide either financially or safety. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear you talk about you feeling like men inherently have value and women don't, and me feeling the opposite. But I'll also uh, bring up kind of examples of what I think kind of encapsulates what you're saying about women being aimless, directionless, or selfish, right? Like when I look at shows like Basketball Wives or Real Housewives of XYZ City, I I feel like I do see that representation of what you're saying, the, the, the aimless, directionless woman. Mm. I can see that, but... If you think about it a bit deeper, what I'm saying is that media does, media always does a good job of portraying the lowest common denominator of what will hold our attention. So even if a man doesn't have as many dating prospects, there is still space for men that are like that. And that man will still hold our interest. There's something comedic or endearing about that type of character. They'll still sell they'll we'll still follow them for the whole movie but that same narrative for women wouldn't sell it wouldn't be worth paying attention to for a man there's something likable about that unlikable grubby man it's the hope or the ability for the male character to transcend that whereas for women there isn't a lot of space to transcend outside of the woman having no sexual value and then gaining sexual value that's the storyline and the trajectory of most of the movies that I grew up on, your, you know, Cinderella story of or a Princess Diaries who she went through this transformation and now she's really likable and the boys have a crush on her, you know. Also with those real housewives or basketball wives, their value is still tied to being a wife. They only have that platform because of their relationship to a man. Mm. I never thought about it that way. And so when I listen to you and what you just said, it sounds like what we're saying is that both men and women feel exploited, marginalized in some way. And when we compare each other's privileges, um, we look at the other person's privileges but don't think about our own, we become resentful of each other. And so I guess my question is, why is the privilege conversation so difficult, particularly between men and women? Mm, well, I might switch that one back on you and ask you as a man, if we're speaking in a hierarchical sense, which we are, talking about power structures, you're the one who society says has more power and privilege than me. So why do you think it's so difficult to have that conversation? Well, um, this is a working hypothesis that I've been thinking through for a while now, but I think that when we talk about different forms of privilege, um, let's take male privilege for the sake of this conversation. And I'm going to caveat this by saying, I think one would be crazy to deny that male privilege exists. Ooh, I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> we don't have um, it, no, what's his name? No, Andrew Tate's. 
No Andrew Tates on this podcast. Yeah, nah. um, yeah, I think as a baseline, like, yes, it exists. But here's my thing, though, when it comes to privilege. Privilege is by no means distributed equally. Um, and so when we hear people talk about privilege, it's often very simplified and devoid of any nuance. Like we like to package the term privilege into this nice, neat little box um, in which we can easily group people as either having it or not. And then if we decide you have it or you don't have it, we base the entire conversation around that. Um, And so when we add nuance to it, when we talk about patriarchy benefiting men, we also need to understand the nuance that most men or even the majority of men in our society um, you know, don't wake up, walk around feeling as if they have any like particular privilege over anybody. I think when we talk about like who really benefits from male privilege, what men really benefit from it, we're talking about the top 1% of men in our society. Um, so basically Jeff Bezos is the only person who benefits from privilege. <laughs> um, but like, I know for sure that if you want to talk about the male privilege conversation, if you went to, you know, the inner cities, I'm sure many black men in the inner city don't feel that privilege, or I'm sure some man in middle America whose, you know, job has been t- taken away by industrialization. Like I'm sure that man doesn't feel that much privilege. And so I think it's, extremely harmful and extremely reductive um, and also just intellectually dishonest to boil privilege down to this very simple women have it or women don't have it and men have it. If you look at a systematic level, when you factor in socioeconomic status, class, education, power, et cetera, um, I don't think, I, I think there's so much more nuance to it. And I think traditional media has hijacked the entire conversation by making this discourse men versus women. And at the end of the day, we're all subject to the same system. So I've been reading a a really great book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change. And she had a really great quote um, in there that said that um, while it's true that men get a little more of the benefits from patriarchy, it doesn't mean that we're also not victims of patriarchy. Or put it another way, I don't know, if you're a factory worker at an Amazon plant, right, whether you're a man or a woman, you're still facing the same exploitation. You're still being exploited. You still have to show up every day, work insane hours for very little pay, regardless of your gender. So I think it's just a much more interesting uh, conversation if we talk about sort of men and women versus this system of patriarchy versus the conversation that traditional media wants us to have, which is just men versus women. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think I was reading something the other day. I subscribed to this great newsletter by Brandon Taylor called Sweater Weather. And he released a newsletter on April 18th that spoke about this concept of the marriage plot. And it comes from that 18th century um, introduction of stories that revolve around marriage and this pursuit of a woman to um, get betrothed essentially and from that period of time in the western world we have this fundamental historical fact that really the route to material and economic stability uh, security and stability for a woman ran 
through marriage. There were no other options. Yet at this period of time that the marriage plot was introduced in the Victorian era, it was still quite radical to imagine that someone would rise up the social ladder by way of marriage. This is what Brandon Taylor writes. And he expands on this idea um, and how the middle class at this point were very desperate for a myth about themselves and the marriage plot became a way for them to see their struggles reflected in literature and how today we we like to think that this is no longer the domineering narrative in our in our world in our media and in fact he argues it kind of still is and instead of he I quote instead of will this virtuous young woman survive her series of trials and marry a rich guy who will make her life better of previous eras the contemporary marriage plot is more an exploration of me and wife he and man what am wife what am man children hungry capitalism big ouchie essentially that novels about wives and mothers in crisis and novels about young women trying to figure out if they want to become wives and mothers is still kind of a marriage plot because marriage looms like a harrowing spectre in the distance, an omnipresent spectre that waits to swallow our virtuous young woman whole and spit them out like a pile of bones. Does that seem like a familiar narrative to you? Yes, it does. And makes me think of, I'll go back to Insecure again, as I think back to the end of that show, waiting for the conclusion. We're all waiting to see if, you know, Molly and Issa will get married. Will they find the love interest? And it does seem like for many shows with female protagonists, that seems to just be the natural conclusion. That seems to be what we're all waiting for to see what happens. Yeah, definitely. But I don't want to push aside your point before I think it's really important to come into this space of examining how the patriarchy affects both genders and um, Brandon Taylor goes on to introduce um, how the marriage plot actually affects men just as much as it affects women and how this isn't spoken about enough and he brings up the um, quintessential man who you know, he's on Twitter, he's on TikTok, he's on Instagram, he trades stocks for fun, he goes to the gym, eats lean protein. He's the kind of man that takes recreational testosterone so he can maintain his edge. He's a lawyer, a trader, a fitness influencer. He has weaponized his Adderall prescription into productivity influencing. He gives other men advice. He preaches to the multitudes. He gets online and yells at women. You would think... You know, we all know reference points for this type of man and you would think that this is the type of man that that does not like women, but I think he's exactly the type of man that we want to look at and just acknowledge. Like he is that way because of the patriarchy. It's not because he he hates women. It's because he actually he feels the same pressure that women feel in the marriage plot. These men are obsessed with women's chastity. They want to marry a woman who is in their minds high value so they can cut her around and pose her like a breathing symbol of their own value. Um, These are all quotes from Brandon Taylor. I'll link this in the show notes. But he culminates this discussion with um, a great line that the average hustle influencer has the same value system of the 18th and 19th century bourgeoisie. And 
I think it's important for us to acknowledge that these figures in at the forefront of male movements, male rights movements, are not new. This is not a new way to be. It's actually an old way to be. And as you said, I think it's when we talk about those figures, it's not that they're it's not that what they do is okay. It's not that we excuse what they do, but I think it's emblematic of them being victims of that system we talked about. Those quote unquote alpha male strategy guys um, are ultimately just guys who want female validation. They want female attention. They want women to like them. And the patriarchy has basically told them they are worthless unless they do all the things you said, go to the gym every day, get a six pack, make a lot of money. Um, It's funny that the things that they're preaching of don't do things for women, in a sense, everything they do is for the female gaze. And so I find that very, you know, that that sort of uh, contradiction very, very interesting and I think just highlights how men as well are victims to this patriarchal system and also can perpetuate it at the same time as being victims. Right. And I would love to to move it into, back into that personal space of like to be really vulnerable and open um, to the emotions of men like and there's so many dynamics that come into play when you introduce that women would love like I have girlfriends who would love to um preach that they that they would welcome a man who is outspoken he's really self-expressive all of these things but in reality rarely do I see them pursue those type of of men and I know that you definitely have thoughts on this topic. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this. How many, how many times, you know, does a, a woman, you know, tell a man that they want him to be emotionally available, that they want him to share um, their innermost thoughts with them for a man to do that and then his partner not actually really be ready to to take all of that in. I think that it's a very common experience for not all, but many men um, to express the true nature of how they feel and then end up having to comfort the person that's supposed to be, yeah, comforting the person that, um, you know, is wanting them to be emotionally vulnerable because because they can't actually handle that emotional vulnerability. And I think that it's definitely been my experience for sure. And I think it's a lot of a lot of men's experience. And another thing I think, you know, when you were talking, it made me think that the reason for that perceived invincibility that you feel men have or that you feel men never get hurt is, again, another example of patriarchy telling us that, well, men are powerful, women are not, therefore men can never be hurt or men can't be hurt because by women because they're the, le- the, the less powerful. I think it again goes back to that privilege being distributed unevenly thing. If you, really, if you think about power, right, you think about a situation in which you might say, well, it's not possible for 
a woman to have power over a man. And again, going back to the Bell Hooks uh, book, one example that she brought up was mothers and children. That's a relationship in which typically the parent actually does have power. Like the, the, the mother actually does have power over the child. And oftentimes mothers do leverage and wield that power over their their sons, which can many times lead them to be emotionally underdeveloped and emotionally damaged. And so I think without casting aspersions on on anybody, I just think it helps to provide sort of more context for um, how it is possible that, yeah, like men can definitely be hurt um, by women uh, as well. But again, it all points back to that one overall arching system that is responsible for all of our kind of pain, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think there's a real lack of empathy. I'm just going to, I won't put it on anyone else, but I'll own up to it personally. Prior to being in a relationship with you, I think I often prejudged men and I, I bought the narrative for sure that men were never were very rarely hurt, like emotionally hurt by women. I felt that there was like a level of invincibility that men enjoyed. And it's only since being in an emotionally secure relationship that we can have really candid conversations. And I'll be honest, I was shocked when you kind of share with me um, the vulnerability and the fragility that can come in dating spaces with like your male friends and that you have felt previously. And I think most women in my life would, if they were to earn like hear the earnest expression of a lot of guys, hetero guys out there that date, it's really, really difficult to be emotionally available because of how they've been treated in the past. And I'm not sure that women accept that. And I remember in the first beta test episode, you asked me a really interesting question, which was if I were to look at the female experience, what is something that I would envy or wish that I could participate in? And I thought that was a really interesting question. Um, I also understand that being a man trying to look across the aisle, what may look like a privilege or something to be envious of, to me, may not actually be. But my answer to your question of what is something that I envy is that I feel women actually have the freedom and the leeway to express how they actually feel. Um, like I said before, we, we always say we want men to be more expressive of their feelings, but the world isn't actually ready for that. And so I think that women are allowed to be angry. Women are allowed to cast, make wide casting generalizations about men um, out of anger because they've been hurt and they never get called out on it. And not saying men don't do the same because men absolutely do the same, but men get called out on it immediately when when they do that and, and and rightly so because it's never I tell all of my guy friends I try to hold them to task you know it's not all women whenever I hear a lot of my guy friends going on with that rhetoric of 
women this. I, I always want to step in by saying it's, you know, it's not all women. And when women do that, you know, I want to say it's not all men. But I do feel like there is a a bit of the the the, the scales have are tipped, you know, for sure. And, and women are allowed to have a few bad experiences with men and then say men are this. And I don't really think they get called out on it. And I know it's out of anger, but I think men do get called out on it. And so that, I, would, I guess, would be one thing I would maybe envy. Mm. And I think that's so interesting because if you were to ask me, if we didn't have this conversation and you were to ask me the same question of, is there something that I envy about being a man? Since I was really young, I always felt that it was, there was this carefree to being able to be a boy even from you know early teenage age it seemed like that when a boy went to open his mouth there was just so much ease there they never seemed to second guess whether they should have an opinion on a topic or not and I was a bit of a tomboy so I was always hanging out with guys I was always the only girl in that space and I always overthought my contributions to conversation or as it felt like for a guy, like you could just say whatever, whenever you wanted. And I always envied that. And it becomes harder, I think, as you age and you get into, you know, the space of universities. There's so many, you know, people that speak up in a uni university tutorial slash class that don't seem to feel any level of self-consciousness about sharing. And as a, as a woman, I always did. It didn't stop me, but I know for a fact that stopped a lot of the other women around me that, yeah. So I just always thought that that would have been nice to like, never think like, can I, or should I say something at any point? It seemed like guys could just speak really freely. My guess is that there were a lot of guys in your lecture at uni who felt the same way as you, who also didn't feel, who also overthought all their contributions. Again, I think it, if you take that microcosm of your university, I think that it was a very small percentage of the top 1% of the guys in that class who felt they had the freedom to express themselves the way they wanted and that everybody else didn't have that power. But I wanted to shift the conversation and get your perspective um, because I feel like we've we've talked about the male experience and male perspective, but I think it's really important when we have these conversations about privilege to not view privilege or someone's lack of privilege from your perspective or you know, meaning my perspective. I want to I want to discuss your perspective. Uh, I want to understand um, experience your experience as a woman as well. I think to speak really candidly about the female experience or even just when I'm in female dominated spaces where there's a lot of safety and there's a lot of trust between me and my girlfriends, I just feel so strongly that we're so fragile as women and in our hearts, in our souls, we're very close and connected to 
the way that we were as children in a way. There's this desire to believe in love and to have these ideals and these dreams and life can kind of beat that out of us. Um, Naivety and our innocence gets taken away by the world when we realise that maybe our outer appearance matters way more than we ever thought about as as young girls and I just see us as these delicate flowers in a way and I think I would want men to see us the same way as something beautiful to nurture and to care for. Wow. (laughs) Don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) I appreciate that vulnerability I think if a lot of guys were to hear that, yeah, I mean, I don't, we don't even, I think, think about that because of the programming we've been subject to our entire lives. From the time we're of age to even start thinking about, you know, women in a dating way or sexual way, I think, yeah, we are so programmed to only think of um, women as something to be a goal to, yeah, a goal to kind of be achieved or or conquered. So I I honestly think a lot of guys, maybe if they grew up with sisters or women in their life they were close to, but if not, I think a lot of guys would actually be kind of shocked uh, to hear that, especially when you sort of combine now, you know, everything you see in media and on social media that, there are a lot of women who are taking up kind of that patriarchal mantle of, you know, we, we can go out like city girls and stuff. We can go out, you know, we can be just like, just like men. We can sleep with people, you know, detached from emotions, not care. We're about getting the money and all that stuff. So I think, I think a lot of guys would be, would be surprised, but it goes back to that conversation that we always have that we learned about, during our premarital counseling um, of the whole dynamic that women desire to be loved and men desire to be respected. And it's, it's quite ironic because I feel like as women, love is a really easy thing for us to give. Respect, not so much. You know, if I'm to be self-aware, I know within myself it's there's a very short fuse between when I will almost withdraw my respect from a man and there's, it could be for the most minor things and irritations. It's just this thing that I don't think us as women, we realise that we play with and that is the thing that men desire the most, to be respected, to be looked up to and the thing that we want so desperately from you is just plain old affection but, you know, that's really hard to give and we talk, we've talked about that we continue to talk about that why is that I don't know it's it's so interesting I think it almost in a you know <laughs> ironic way yeah the very thing that you know the opposite gender wants from us is the very thing that is so difficult for us to give and I think yeah it is really easy for guys to give respect uh, to each other um, but but love is, is so hard love is so challenging and I mean I'm going to sound like a, a, a broken record, but I, I don't think that that's natural. I don't personally think that that's natural. I personally think of... That love, men giving love is natural? 
Well, the that giving men, love. That, that find, men finding it hard to give love is natural. Interesting. Can you explain that? I don't necessarily know that that's... Na- I, don't, I think that that's something that has been beaten out of us. Oh, like a protection Societally, mechanism. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that... I think little boys naturally cry just like little girls or want to show affection and want affection. So true. But I think that naturally just gets beaten out of us. I think we're told that, yeah, our value... I, I think that what it is is men want to be loved for what they do. They want to be loved for their contribution. So they either want to be loved because they were a successful founder of a billion dollar company or because they're a great athlete and they make the NBA or because men find it difficult. I think the, the concept of you just loving me for me Mm. is very difficult because I we're taught that by society that our value is in what we contribute. So just someone even growing up, I remember like someone just liking me for me was 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 weird because it was like oh but you don't even know you don't know what I do you don't know where, where I work you don't know how much money I make I think men are kind of taught that their value is, is through um, these external these external things right. yeah so I don't think it's I don't think it's natural but it gets taken out of us what do you think as far as you mentioned that it was difficult for women to or for you to to give respect or you can withdraw respect really easily yeah i'm not sure what's responsible for that but i think the current cultural climate makes it exacerbates it even exacerbates it even further and that's why i feel the need to talk about this so openly with my friends and the need to call it out because we're almost affirmed by i guess the trendy feminist voices out there in culture that it's yeah men are trash like oh here's this random anecdote from someone online and every single comment will be unequivocally supporting that woman without getting the other side of the story and we're at a point where that's so condoned and I feel so uncomfortable with that and I don't know I don't know where it's come from as far as the respect piece Actually, it it could be just the – I feel that I am very capable of a lot and I think most women feel – not feel, they know that they're very capable, that they don't – at this point in history, we can make our own money. We have a plethora of choices if you're in the Western world and you live in a society like Melbourne or New York – both of which are spaces we've moved between, the women that I know in those spaces, there's nothing that we cannot do on our own. So because we are so capable, I think there's an irritation that can arise when we see men falling short of our standards of something that we feel is so easy to do, like being considerate of another person, for instance, or, yeah, just... I don't know. We have, we have lists. We're very, we have things that we're keeping up in our mind. We have all these priorities and we're great at multitasking. So I think that irritation and the withdrawal of respect, withdrawal of of respect comes from feeling like, Oh, you're, why can't you do this? Like I can do it. Do you think going along with that is also 
a almost resentment of the fact that it's not only why can't you do this, but why why don't you feel it's important for you to know how to do this? For example, right. like all of them, and I see this more yeah. now that I'm married, but when I was a single guy, not even single, even when we were um, engaged, dating, but we weren't living together, I never cooked for myself. And I, and I, I don't have a statistic to back it up, but I, I would imagine most single men never cook. Um, or even something as simple as doing laundry. Like a lot of my male friends in college didn't do their own, you know, if they lived at, you know, in Maryland, they would just go home and do laundry. So there's almost a sense of why is it that, why is it that we feel this need to make sure our, our girl, our little girls know how to cook and do laundry and, and are capable with these things. But men, little boys who grow into men, there's not that same pressure. It's like, I, you know, if you know how to do it, cool. If not, cool. Do you think there's a bit of almost resentment? Definitely, definitely. And this is a concept that we've just, I just, yeah. This is a concept that I introduced to you recently about the mental load and the massive disparity <laughs> between what goes on in a woman's mind as compared to the, the man's. And there's that meme about it where there's like, the couple lying in bed and the woman's like in anguish over something. She's like, oh, I bet he's thinking about how um, I'm a seven instead of a 10 or something. And he, and it's got the men's thought bubble and it's like, oh, I can't wait to watch the game tomorrow, (laughs) you know, something like that. But the mental load is this concept related to the fact that women, especially in domestic environments, are constantly keeping track of maintaining the home. And it's something that, for whatever reason, we naturally have assumed and bear the large majority of responsibility around. And it is this, um, it's a burden, essentially. And it's one that it doesn't seem that men and husbands and fathers often share because of traditional gender roles and the way that um, history has led up until now, but it's something that I would love to change in our home because there is no reason why I should also be going to work and coming home and cooking for both of us and thinking about, okay, how do we time when we do the laundry? We need these clothes by this time. It's something that can be shared and should be shared. Yeah. I think it definitely can be the cause for so much resentment, especially when you introduce children into the picture. Yeah. I'd like to think that we we split responsibilities in our marriage along the lines of competency, like along the, line, yeah, not along strength, the lines strength. of gender. Yeah. Instead of along the lines of gender, we just along the lines of who's better at, at what, who's uh, more capable of what. And I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think when you, yeah, when you first brought up the concept of um, mental load, I think that I was definitely resistant to, I was definitely resistant of it. Because um, isn't there this feeling of, I feel like for men, it's like, well, you're choosing to do that. Like, I don't want to worry about those things, so I'm not going to. Yeah, and I and for women, it's like, yeah, if, if I don't think about it, who else is going to think about it? And I, and I definitely get that. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's definitely... It's definitely a thing. I think 
we're, we're probably as men just like okay with less we're just happier with less probably um mm. standards just generally aren't as high but i think also with that i think there's also ways in which there are mental load there's a mental load on on men i think what i see in all of this is that to their credit women have individually and collectively come together and thought looked at their life and have put vocabulary and terms around what these things are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, even though I don't agree with a lot of feminist ideology, I think that... Well, not wh- like white feminist ideology. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not I don't our bell hooks ideology. Of, um, yes. Feminism, sorry. Yes, like a, a lot of white, fe- yeah, white feminist um, ideology. I don't agree with a lot of it, but the one thing that I credit them for is that they're you know, they're the only ones that are really coming together trying to dismantle these these systems. You know, men generally haven't come together to really question the systems in power and how we can dismantle them. So I credit them for that. But I think that if we were to really think about it as men, I think that there is a type of mental load that we also face. It just doesn't get any attention because men have never questioned it. Mm. Men, I think, are more It's been the default. It's been the default. And I think because because we are, yes, we're also victims of it, but because it also benefits us in some ways, we're more likely to just go along with it. And so I think in a lot of my friendships, not all, um, but in many of my friendships, when it comes to finances, when it comes to making money, when it comes to thinking about far out, financial decisions and in my experience it's generally been a lot of the the, that mental load falls on the the man who's generally just really stressed about money spending are we gonna have enough for this point um that could also just be skewed by the types of people that i'm around and the types of people that i'm hanging out with i'm working with but it's usually the woman who's more frivolous and just kind of not thinking about spending decisions and just spending and then the the man who's you know more stressed about that Mm. but you know you explaining this to me and opening up to me just about how much of your identity you found in work was the first time in my life I'd ever seen that association made yet it's something that just telling me is so common and that most men feel and I think it comes back to to safety and the idea of being able to emotionally trust that you can tell someone of the opposite gender how you really feel about yourself because I don't think most men would have articulated that to the women in their life before you know yeah because I trust you and I think what I want, the place I want us to get to is where on an individual level, men and women just trust each other. Again, I think that Mm. unfortunately as human beings, we, we take our experiences and then extrapolate them to society, like the entire world. (laughs) And, you know, both men and women 
do it right like there's you know there's the male in sales and then there's also a, a, a there's a male version and a female version of that too where you know people have a few negative experiences with the opposite sex and then all of a sudden it's you know men are trash or women are gold diggers or men are this men are that and it's like I promise you it's it's not you know men I promise you it's not all women women I promise you it's not all men maybe it's the, the types of people that you're particularly around but um it, it never you know the four women you dated are not representative of mm. of society at large and I think that's where that's that's where we need to get back to with these conversations is just recentering them around individuals like think of the people in your life rather than kind of uh, you know, generalizing everyone down to a statistic. Yeah, trust. Absolutely. That's, I feel like it's a really big word and it's a scary word for us to challenge people to trust people of of the other gender. It's a very big call, but it is what's necessary. And I believe, I think we believe that the evil forces in this world would love if we continued to yeah, stigmatize the other and think that we are so separate and so different and that we are in opposition, but it's absolutely not true. We are both worthy of love and wanting it. And when we speak about privilege and we speak about trust, like empathy is the only way that we can get there, is stopping not to prejudge based on your history, but to take a person at face value as them having value, as them telling you what it is that they feel, what it is that they want out of life and, and from you. And, the, and it takes courage. And because both, because all of us are suffering under patriarchy, it also takes patience. It's not, nobody's going to be used to you doing that the first couple times around, it's kind of scary to think that if you were to go on a date with someone for the first time and you just level with them, they'll probably questioning, is this for real? Is this another type of tactic, another type of ploy? But the only way is to take the first step, to be honest and authentic and, yeah. Realizing that we are not enemies of each other. No, we're the same. Well, we're different, but... We're the same in value. Separate but equal mm-hmm. like is inherently that. unequal. <laughs> <laughs> have we reached some sort of nuance here? I, I feel like we have. have. <laughs> that was a high five. It's episode two in the books. I love it.